I'm James Day, and this is Focus on Pocus, a podcast about current topics in point-of-care ultrasound and the future of medicine. So what about the future of Pocus in this post-pandemic world? Well, today's guest, Dr. Nagdev, is actively involved, among many other projects, with simplifying the entire process of Pocus scans. So let me just tell you a little bit more about this Renaissance man. Dr. Nagdev is ECHO's Senior Director of Clinical Education. Separate from his capacity with ECHO, he also serves as Director of Emergency Ultrasound at the Highland Hospital, as well as a Clinical Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine at University of California, San Francisco. In his previous academic position, Dr. Nagdev started the Point of Care Ultrasound Program and Fellowship at Brown University. Dr. Nagdev is a highly respected international POCUS researcher and educator. He has been a thought leader throughout his career, publishing more than 90 peer-reviewed papers and counting on various aspects of POCUS. His work led to recognition and national awards at both the American College of Emergency Medicine and ACEP and Society for Academic Emergency Medicine, SAEM. Over the course of his career, he has been an invited lecturer for POCUS education at numerous global emergency medicine conferences. He currently serves as president of the American Institution of Ultrasound and Medicine, AIUM, and POCUS section, and is the incoming president for ACEP ultrasound section. Wow, that is quite a bio there, Dr. Nogdave. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. That's very, very, very nice of you. <laughs> I hope I got it all in there. That was, uh, that was almost like a novel. You've done so much in all this innovative <laughs> stuff. I, I guess that paper, at, when this was written at 90, you're probably more like 100 plus papers by now. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the exact number, but <laughs> it's been a really a fun journey to answer questions, and uh, I, it's it's a huge learning process. So I've been very lucky to have get a chance to work in point of care space. Yeah. So let's just open this whole thing up with your mission with the medical device company now, uh, Echo, uh, spelled E X O, and, and why did you want to join them? Yeah, that was an interesting process. Um, I think that I, I know I use point of care all the time on almost every single patient. I've been teaching it for 15 years, mm -hmm. and I recognize that there was a shift happening in healthcare, and specifically in the POCUS healthcare space when it came to technology. There was a movement from the legacy companies to technology that was allowing us to image in such a clean in such a novel manner. And this is really this, you know, chip on ultrasound system concept. Mm -hmm. And I got a great chance. I met, you know, our CEO who's, who's really uh, one of those people that I think is changing the world and his team of founders. And I realized how this is going to impact everybody. And plus the ability for me to, to not just teach my 40 residents or the 10 every year that I get, Right. But to expand it to populations that are outside of just um, people who I talk to. So it's a little bit self-serving to be allowed to, to educate a lot of people, but yet give them the product in their hands that I think it, it before was a limitation, was, was a cost barrier. And now we've reduced that with technology. But yet I think with that comes an onus for education and proper usage. And so it's kind of a great way for me to, to kind of push both sides of my brain and to help a company I think is going to slowly change the way that we practice healthcare. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about what I've read on their website, you know, with some of the other handheld yeah. devices. Um, 
So, you know, one of the things I was thinking, we were chatting earlier, uh, I'd like to hear your own story about your own personal experience with the development of POCUS. Yeah, so I, unfortunately, I, I, I guess I'm uh, an old school doc, but when I was a resident, we didn't have point of care at all. I worked in a department. I was in New York, um, busy, uh, resource poor environment mm-hmm. where point of care wasn't a part of the teaching. We didn't have systems. And, um, I, at that point there was like, maybe I think, I don't know how many fellowships in the country, not that many. And I heard about Highland. It's kind of a, a famous emergency medicine program in, in, in our space. It's one of those places that, uh, if you're a wine snob, you know about the small winery in, <laughs> in Napa Valley that, you know, that people don't know about. Uh-huh. It's a place where probably some of the best and smartest minds in emergency medicine come to. And it was a place where the docs were using point of care starting in 81, which to me was shocking. So when I interviewed there, it was, I, I still remember, uh, and I say this story over and over again, it sounds so trite, but I remember walking my interview and there was this senior resident who just walked out of a room and was like, oh, the patient's ejection fraction was poor and we're going to admit him for CHF. And I was like, who is this second year resident? I'm a fourth year resident. How does he know how to call ejection fraction? Like, I was like, that's crazy. There's no way. Because yeah. I had still not really done any of this. And I was, I, was, I was that old guy that was intolerant to medical change. And I, I remember that so well. And he went on eventually, and he is now an ultrasound director and a, and a very well-respected uh, researcher, and in Iron I was like, this is nuts. And the whole department just seemed like they were eating it up. And I was like, what is going on? And there were some really like thinkers that would say things to me. I still remember being the first few months there. They would say things. I'm like, these guys are insane. And what they were doing was they were just doing what medicine should do on a regular basis is challenge the norms. And they were using point of care as this like pivot. They published the first DVT studies. Mm-hmm. They, they wrote a book on point of care ultrasound. And the chairperson, and they were just like big thinkers to me. And I was like people that I respected so much, and I still do. And so I was really lucky to do a fellowship there. And it completely opened my eyes to ocular ultrasound. To, I remember we went to UCSF and worked with one of the, the faculty that had just started looking at regional anesthesia with ultrasound guidance. Just, just started. This is in 2005. And I was like, this is nuts. Who is going to inject? How are you going to look at nerves in ultrasound? That's crazy. From echoes to everything, pregnant patients, the DVTs, the soft tissue, and they were just doing it every, everywhere. And they're doing it with a level of abandon and honesty that I just had never experienced. So I learned emergency medicine, I feel, at Highland. And it was a great opportunity. And the, my next stop was to go back and kind of do what Highland people do is they go to another center and they bring that culture with them of education, of um, just, you know, like, push and think and be honest and read the literature and, and try to innovate. And I got really lucky. I got a great job at Rhode Island Hospital at Brown University, um, worked with some amazing people at a really busy academic center. And, you know, it was a, such a great experience. I was young. I was hungry. I was clueless. <laughs> I was <laughs> learning. Yeah. I was uh, fumbling through things and trying to think outside the box constantly. And and it allowed me to really, you know, learn and get better at my craft and, and forced me to, to, to sit with radiology and cardiology. And when they're asking me, why are you doing this? To be personally an expert and yet 
also to be able to defend my craft. And it was really a great learning experience. Yeah, that's it's a it's a exciting time. I remember that early, those early days and stuff. It is it yeah. it really gets you jazzed. Even just as a sonographer, yeah, you would say things that I go, you know, wow. The, I think this ejection fraction is fifteen percent or down to thirty here with the CHF, and yeah, it was just funny. I go, why aren't the physicians doing this? I mean, they're the yeah. ones doing the yeah. interrogation. Why is there a tech doing it? But. That was some yeah. years ago. Now everybody's got one in their hands, and that's great. Yeah. Now my interns, now my interns, you know, I'm, I, we have an intern rotation with med students. And my, you know, my fourth year med student at UCSF is by the end of the, you know, we do a four week block. By the end of the two mm -hmm. weeks, he calls his own yes, and, and he's great. <laughs> he's, you know, he yeah. has no problem doing it. And I mean, as a fourth year resident graduating from a big inner city, academic center, I was like, you, that will never happen. And now I have med students who are crushing it. First year med students, right? It's, it's shocking that, that medicine, the only limitation on medicine's progression is the physicians who prevent other people from doing good things. Yeah. And, uh, I'm really lucky to have come there and learned from people that didn't have that hierarchy of medicine and then go back and then be, you know, be a person that could help other people actually acquire these skills and improve patient care. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's like, it used to be IBM and now it's Google. Like there's, uh, <laughs> That's exactly to right. totally flattened out. So, you know, I'm wondering about the future of POCUS. What's that look like here in this post pandemic world? And I know COVID impacted POCUS a lot and we've seen a lot yeah. of new approaches in the past 15 months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th I think this, uh, excuse me, COVID really did something for technology. I, you can argue that because of COVID, telehealth became a thing, right? Mm -hmm. We were, CMS wasn't funding telehealth and now it is funding telehealth because we were forced to be, to realize that, that this is something that we're going to have to do. Even if you live in the Upper East Side and you're four blocks away from Cornell, you couldn't go into the hospital. So telehealth became part uh, part and parcel of the way that we used it. And people didn't say that it wasn't as good. It was now a part of the way we practice. I think point of care went through that same issue. If you think about, there's some great articles by Jim Sung that talk about pneumonia evaluation. I remember Jim came and did a talk for us right. a few years back. And <clears throat> people were like, why do I need Pocus. I mean, like I have a chest x-ray, even though there's tons of data that evaluation of lung pathology <clears throat> via an ultrasound is more accurate, is better, it's less radiation, it's safer for the patient, all these reasons. But but we we as physicians and even myself, right? Like it, but it's easiest to get chest x-ray. That's how I've always done it. That's how I do it. Mm -hmm. And then COVID happened and everything changed, right? So Contamination of patients from a room outside a room was an issue. Bringing x-ray techs into a room is an issue. Um, all those factors happened. And suddenly, what we always knew in the literature, which Jim was talking about five years earlier, was that we have a better test at the bedside that is safe. It don't have to transport the patient. You don't need a CT. All those mm -hmm. things that COVID forced us to realize had always been there. And suddenly, we now realize how relevant this is to clinical care. So I think that COVID has done a lot to inform us of what we can and can't do. And not to just rely on the way that medicine has always been practiced. 
And I think the beauty of it, and again, you know, you have to look at bright sides of, of tragedies. I think it has helped us recognize how handhelds will be instrumental to the, the way that we take care of patients at our quaternary care academic centers, but also uh, we, you know, in Peru, in India, in other places where this need, these examinations need to be done outside in a tent, um, where these need to be done at hospital centers where they don't have easy imaging at clinics all around every city. So I think it's, uh, it's really relevant. So Dr. Nongdave, you know, I, we, it's very true. And all these questions wrap in together. So do you, where do you see handheld ultrasound systems and how will they change medicine in the future? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really fascinating uh, idea. How are we going to implement handheld ultrasounds to help healthcare? I, I think that, I think it's two ways. One is uh, price point, right? That the the yes. driving ability for handheld systems to be priced at a point where physicians, clinicians, nurses, EMTs uh, have access to it mm-hmm. is 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 a huge huge issue. And we saw this with as point of care machines came down, the cart based systems, more people were able to implement it implement them, excuse me. And second is the UI or the user interface, the user experience on it. I think technology allows us to really leverage other things. Your iPhone has great technology on it. Now we have this amazing computer in our hand that along with having imaging allows me to have face recognition, allows me to have thumbprint recognition, allows me to have voice recognition, Mm -hmm. allows me to be portable, allows me to interact with other people. So that marrying of both price, which is a huge factor in healthcare, mm-hmm. ability to get this to IHS, to Indian Health Services, ability to get this to the clinic doctor that's 40 minutes outside a major city or in a, in a major city down the street to get imaging that they would have to send the patient out for, such as an x-ray or et cetera. And then implementing the technology on the back end, which really is the front end of this, mm-hmm. And to marry that together is, is an idea that has long been needed. And now with, I, I think, technology helping us with bringing that price down, but yet implementing it in a way that is very user-friendly for the clinician, mm-hmm. the nurse, the EMT, I think we have something that's going to revolutionize the way that we practice healthcare and specifically revolutionize point of care. That is excellent. And we're living in exciting times. So uh, as we spoke before the show, you know, we were chatting a little bit. We know that POCUS has had a huge transformation on emergency medicine, and they really innovated and adopted it. Uh, But I'd like to hone in on a specific ED presentation, and that's combating the opioid epidemic with ultrasound technology. Yeah, I mean, this has been my uh, passion for now since 2005. Hmm. It's something that I, I think back then when I was doing, people kind of made fun. And it wasn't just me. It was a team of really smart uh, clinicians. And I was just lucky enough to be in that group. <clears throat> but I think that in the ED, we've classically had very simple ways to take care of pain. And it was, you had belly pain, you had opioids. You had a fracture, you had opioids. Mm-hmm. You had any type of major injury, you had opioids. And we just did this as clinicians 
for years. And that's what we were taught. And the opioid crisis kind of hit us in the butt, if that's an inappropriate term, but really hit us. And and we're like, where did this come from? And I think that we as good clinicians, again, this, this stems from physicians or clinicians and researchers always looking at what's the best for patient care, we realized that multimodal pain strategies was better, not just sticking with opioids, but using NSAIDs and using um, ketamine. Luckily, we had started talking about bringing down practices from our anesthesia colleagues to do regional anesthesia, or I personally use the term ultrasound-guided nerve blocks because I'm not an anesthesiologist, to help with pain in a multimodal fashion. So along with, so our our 75-year-old lady that comes in with a hip fracture, Mm -hmm. we were just giving opioids, causing respiratory depression, causing hypotension, causing this young woman to not be able to speak to her family. And we started implementing using ultrasound guidance to perform thermal nerve blocks. Wow. And what we realized was this was powerful and allowed less side effects from our opioids, from our other medications, and allowed the patient to be comfortable. And what we realized was this implementation of implementing ultrasound guidance for nerve blocks along with this multimodal therapy could also reduce our reliance on opioids for patients to come in with injuries. And we know this from reasonable ED data that when we start with opioids, and that's our first bet, there are going to be some populations that are going to find that to be something they can't stop. Sure. If we start with a multimodal therapy, we reduce that number. And so this kind of collided in, I, I can't give you the exact date, but suddenly I went from giving a talk to 40 people and you know 13 of them walking out saying, I'm not going to learn this skill because it's too much. I'm not an anesthesiologist. To me giving a talk to a thousand people at ASAP and people are like, can you come give a talk to my grand rounds at, at Harvard and at Yale and at Hopkins or whatever the institution is? And I think that people realized that our job to be active in the management of pain included learning the new multimodal therapies and implementing ultrasound guidance for nerve blocks. And it, now it's taken off. I mean, I, this is now an, an entire segment of ASEP's policy. We actually finished a policy paper that said that this is a core responsibility and a core teaching for us. All, all, all ultrasound fellowships now in emergency medicine teach this. Our residents do tons of it, um, and it's now become this amazing tool to reduce pain. And I, I can give you stories. I, I've, I can talk about this forever. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, we've had physicians go down to Peru, our fellows, and teach their anesthesiologists and their emergency physicians. You can imagine these people coming in with bad injuries and just sit in an ER getting opioids. <clears throat> now they get blocked. They're awake. They're, they can... You know, you know, all the side effects of being completely sleepy in an ER have gone away. The dangers of opioid medication. You've totally pulled it. Yeah, we got lucky. Yeah, you've seemed like you've to- totally pulled it, pulled it out of the OR and applied it to real-world ED presentations. That's amazing. Yeah, and we got, you know, and unfortunately, again, like most things, right, we're, the opioid crisis kind of hit us, and we realized that this is the right thing to do for patients, which before was just the cool thing to do for patients. And um, yeah, it, it allowed us to really make an impact in patient care, in in helping our field grow into a stronger field. And I've been very, very lucky to be a part of it. That's amazing. I I never thought of that angle like that. And it's just more 
about point of care ultrasound being innovative and you know driving the future of medicine. Yeah. So, uh, Doctor Doctor Nogdave, listen, it was great having you here on today's podcast. It's an honor, and we thank you for all you do to increase patient safety. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, guys. I really, I really do appreciate the chance to kind of tell people um, how important this is, and uh, you know, I, I really, I hope that more people jump on the bandwagon and learn and improve patient care. It's going to be great. And don't forget, for more POCUS-style topics, follow us on Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy and Twitter at POCUS Academy. Thank you so much. Thanks, James.